All right, good morning. I want to welcome you all to Mount Olive. So glad to see all your faces today. Uh, and welcome to our series, Simon Says, Who Are You Following? Uh, if you're brand new with us, or maybe you've missed some messages along the way, I wanted to make you aware today that uh, you can catch up, you can listen to all the previous messages, all the upcoming messages after they've been preached and so on. Uh, you can go to mountallofefc.com and you can watch and listen online, or better yet, you could subscribe to the Mount Olive podcast and always stay up to date as to where we're at in our preaching series. And I promise you it will be the best decision of your life. Okay, enough of the advertising. That's a money back guarantee, just so you know. You can sign up for free though, so there's no money back. Haha. So um, yeah, I, speaking of advertising, some people just have the gift, don't they? Uh, you probably met some people that they just have the gift of advertising, the gift of selling. They just have a way of describing or explaining things that just kind of pulls you in. You're like, I want that, right? They just have this ability. And if they're like a little uh, sly, um, sometimes they just lie about the cost or, you know, they just kind of mask over what's actually, you know, the product you're actually getting or the thing you're actually signing up for. I'm sure you have uh, some stories of just that um, where you got pulled into a deal that you found out afterwards was far less than ideal, right? Uh, on our honeymoon, Mandy and I, we were kind of new to the whole vacation thing. It was our first um, kind of big vacation. And uh, on our honeymoon, we uh, saw an advertisement for a free jungle tour. And me being uh, me, and also Mennonite, uh, they had me at free. And so we signed up to go, you know, to this thing that would lead us to this free jungle tour. As I mentioned, we were a little naive and didn't realize that the free jungle tour came with a very long and very high-pressured sales pitch, which left a very disappointed salesperson because, as I said, I'm Mennonite. I wasn't signing up for their vacation, whatever package thing. And, and so he was really upset. Uh, we found out then that the um, jungle tour was actually a tequila tour <laughs> on a mountain. And we were neither interested in the tequila, we were interested in the jungle. So they gave us free t-shirts and we left with our free t-shirts. We got something free, right? It was, but maybe you have a story uh, like that where you kind of got pulled in uh, into something. And... Uh, you know, I've learned in my short life um, that when it comes to deals, the stronger the sales pitch or the better the deal sounds, probably the more I need to do the research and understand what's happening. If the deal is too good to be true, there's a good chance it's just not true, right? And I'm sure you have your story of being pulled in. And there's nothing satisfying. Let's be honest. There's nothing satisfying about getting sucked into and signing in on something that it turns out later you didn't sign in for what you thought you were signing into, right? There's nothing satisfying about that. And so we're encouraged in life. Read the fine print, right? I mean, before you sign up, before you jump in, read the fine print. And this is so true of our faith journey as well. And I know that some of you, you as you followed this series or you're journeying with us, you're like, pastor, you make it sound so easy, and so good. It's such a no-brainer to step in to follow Jesus. We've talked about things like, you don't even have to change. You just come as you are. Jesus says, come and see, come and see. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to change your belief system. You can just come and see. And, and, and Jesus will give you new life, and he'll give you eternal life, and you get invited into this kingdom of God, and it's like, 
Who would say no to that? And yet you're smart people. And I'm sure along the series at some point you've been like, yeah, but where's, where's the gotcha moment, right? Yeah, you're making it sound so good and so easy, but where's that moment where you're like, aha, you signed up now. And so even in, the, in, the, in, this, in this idea of faith, we're called, we should read the fine print and Jesus understood this. And so what Jesus did and what we're gonna talk about today is some teaching Jesus gave where he said, here's the fine print, but I didn't make it fine. I'm gonna put it up front. I'm gonna make it bold so that you can think about all you need to think about before you say, I wanna step in and follow Jesus. Oh, you could come and see. Oh, you can start. But here's what's gonna actually be required of you. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 14. And as you do that, if you're brand new to faith or you're like on the front end to the front end of faith, you're like, I'm not even sure. I showed up, someone bribed me, so I took it, you know, and then you're gonna find out actually it's a tequila tour or something. I don't know what you're gonna get, but you know, you're just not sure about this whole faith thing. I'm so glad you're here today because you're probably wondering, okay, if I was to follow Jesus, what would it include? Today, you're gonna find out. And if you're not, or if you have been following Jesus a long time, Luke actually wrote this down knowing that for hundreds of years and centuries, you and I were gonna read this. And this would be a reminder for those of us who follow Jesus. This is what you said. This is what you signed up for. Don't forget what Jesus has called us to. So here's what Luke writes for us in chapter 14, starting verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, I'm just, this doesn't make sense to us because we're kind of jumping in the middle of Luke's, you know, gospel story. Uh, this is chapter 14. He starts at chapter one. That's kind of how it works. And then it goes on for quite a ways. But uh, as Luke is writing, he's already spoken about all kinds and written about all kinds of things Jesus has done. Jesus has been doing ministry, uh, which means he's been like healing sick people, uh, people who were demon-possessed had evil spirits. He's casting them out. Uh, he, he has fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. It was this crazy moment. He's raised a dead young girl back to life and a young boy who died, he raised him to life. And then on top of all of that, he's going around preaching and proclaiming the good news of a new kingdom, which in Palestine, in Middle Eastern uh, Israel, it, this was good news. I mean, they were, they'd been overtaken by the Roman Empire. And here's a guy who's healing, raising people to, to life. And he's saying there's a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And surely he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, right? And here's what happens. When you heal people and raise people from the dead and you preach a message like that, guess what happens? People start showing up. And they were showing up, they were coming from everywhere. But I wanna give you a little bit of education on crowds. Okay, this is so simple, you'd be like, well, duh. But this is kind of crowd education 101, okay? Crowds are generally attracted to what's attractive. It's just how it works. And if you find a crowd somewhere, undoubtedly at some point, there's something attractive about that thing and the crowds start forming. And Jesus has been healing and feeding and, and raising people from the dead and casting out demons and crowds start showing up because Jesus and what he was doing was attractive. It was pulling them in. But Jesus knew something about crowds. Crowds can be dangerous. Crowds can be very dangerous because what happens when there's a crowd, there's momentum. And with a crowd, there's pressure and there's peer pressure. And we tend, when we're in a crowd, we tend as humanity to let our guard down because we think, surely someone 
has checked into it. I'm sure it's safe. Surely someone read it, right? I was talking to someone after the first service. They're like, yeah, all those agreements on, you know, it's like, hey, you got a new operating system. You just like agree, right? It's like, do you read that? No, surely someone else has, right? You're just like, yeah, accept. Sure, the crowds are dangerous because there is momentum and there is uh, a pressure and we let our guard down and Jesus understands this about crowds. And so as the crowd is forming and large crowds were coming, we're told that, uh, that Jesus turned to them and he said, and in essence, he says this, I'm gonna give you the whole picture. I'm gonna give you the fine print because you guys are letting your guard down. You're just all getting excited about this new kingdom, about the raising of the dead and this, all these miracles. But let me give you the entire picture. Let me give you the fine print. And do you know why he does it? Because he's kind. He's kind. He's like, I don't want you to sign up and be like, oh yeah, I'm so excited, I'm all in. And then be like, oh, there's this gotcha moment. She's like, let me give you the gotcha moment from the front. And here's the fine print Jesus gives. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. <laughs> okay, you wanna thin the crowd? Maybe I don't, like you can raise the dead, but that's, right? Now, this is serious. We'll get to the serious, but I find it interesting, kind of peculiar. Do you notice the one group of people that's missing? It's interesting. I think this is peculiar. Father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, who's missing? Even yourself? Husbands. They don't show up. I have a theory on this. I think Jesus was kind of like, you know what? They don't need a command to hate their husbands. That'll just happen naturally, okay? So we're just gonna, just... I'm just kidding, okay? This is serious, okay, this is serious. I don't know why he leaves the husbands out, I don't know, but. Jesus says, if you will hate, what does Jesus mean by hate? Well, undoubtedly, logically speaking, Jesus cannot and he does not mean hate. I know it's just this weird thing, he said it, but he didn't mean it, I don't know. What is it? He does not and he cannot mean hate the way we define hate in the Western world in the 21st century. And the way we define it, I'll define it. If you agree or disagree, you can do that on your own. But we define hate as this emotional response of disdain and dislike for someone. And if that's how we define hate, this emotional response, I hate you, I, of, of disdain and dislike, Jesus did not mean that when he said you have to hate father, mother, brother, sister, uh, your own life, and your wife and your husband. Jesus did not mean that. And here's why we know. Because on the night Jesus would be betrayed, he would sit with his disciples and he would say, if there's one thing that's gonna distinguish you that's gonna set you apart when people are like, that's a follower of Jesus. If there's one character trait, here's what it is. And here's what he said. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, which was this crazy sacrificial love. So you must love one another. By this love, everyone's gonna know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Whatever Jesus meant by hate, he did not mean the way we think of hate. Because he said, the distinguishing mark of my followers, of Christians, of disciples, is going to be love. In fact, he was so strong on this. He was crazy. He took love way further than you and I can accept. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, You have heard 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love even your enemies. Which means if someone is against you and they're like, they're bad and wrong and they treated you unjustly, they are your enemy. This kind of love that you are gonna be defined as is gonna go so far that you would love even those that we think they're unlovable. Love even your enemies. And then John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, some 30 or 40 years later, after Jesus has died, rose back to life, he's ascended to heaven. John's living and he's, he's writing to other followers of Jesus. And he says this, again, speaking about the one defining, distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because what? We love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So whatever Jesus meant when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whatever Jesus meant by hate, it's not hate the way we think of hate. So now, what could Jesus mean? if he's called us to love to this extent, and then when the crowds show up and there's this momentum, he turns around and says, you gotta hate the relationships that are probably closest to you. What does Jesus mean? Here's what Jesus means. When he says you need to hate father and mother, he says this, you need to love less. You need to love less than how much you love me. Jesus is saying, I want and I'm coming and my call as king is that I get first place, highest priority, that I get centrality in every one of your lives. If you wanna come after me, I get to be first. And some of you are thinking, love less father, mother? <laughs> That's not hard. I already love less my father, right? It's like, I already love less my, my brother. Like if you knew the relationship, it was not hard for me to love less, but here's the irony of it. When we love less, said in the negative, now said in the positive, because we love Jesus more, it will lead you to love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, even yourself, more than you could have loved before you loved Jesus more. This is the irony of it all. That when you choose to put Jesus first, central to your life, the highest priority, and you love him most, it will actually lead you to loving your wife better. The best you can love your wife, the best you can love your husband, the best you can love your brother and sister and mother and father is to love Jesus. And then he calls us, even when we don't feel like loving them, because they feel like an enemy. He calls us because we love him most. He calls us to love them more. Whatever Jesus meant, it was not hate was to love less because you have loved me more. In fact, Jesus puts this in the positive. Matthew's gospel records Jesus' teaching. And he says this in Matthew 10, 37, same teaching, but said differently. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying the relationships that you hold closest must come second 
to me. And when you put me first, guess what? You will love them better. Better than you could have ever loved them before you put me first. Wow. This is such a massive teaching. Jesus isn't done. We'd be like, okay, that was, that was enough, right? The crowds have already left. Jesus is like, I'm not done. He goes on. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And we think a cross, like, is that like a chain with a thing on my, what? No, no, no. In first century, all the hearers understood exactly what this meant. They'd seen crosses outside their towns and their cities. This was Rome's form of capital punishment and it was humiliating often crucified naked and they would have watched friends, maybe loved ones who died of suffocation as they tried to breathe hanging from a cross. They understood this was a loss of everything and, and Rome to make it even worse often would cause the person who would be killed on the cross to carry their own cross as a way to humiliate them to the place where they then would be crucified on it. And we know this because this happened to Jesus and you know that story. It was such humiliation. It was a complete loss of everything. And when Jesus says, anyone who does not carry their cross, he says, anyone who does not release themselves of everything they hold dear. And then says, I choose Jesus. He is first priority, foremost in my life. Cannot be my disciple. See, we understand as followers of Jesus, maybe you're new to faith, but Grace was costly. And you've heard this. We receive a free gift of God, which is eternal life. But it cost God his son. It cost Jesus everything. For us to be given a free gift to receive from God, Jesus had to come and bear our sin for us and pay the penalty of our sin by hanging and dying on a cross so that we could be given a free gift unearned. We can't get it by trying. We simply receive it. It is grace and it costs Jesus everything. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus says not only was grace costly to give, grace is also costly to receive. That it's going to cost you something to receive the free gift that God offers you through the person of Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, you're gonna to have to put me first. You're gonna to have to die even to yourself. It's gonna cost you, you, to have the free and open hands to receive me. Think of it this way. You've seen this play out in different scenarios with toddlers. Um, toddlers love to just grab things and they're egocentric, so they're all mine, right? It's like, it's just mine. And uh, you've probably seen different versions of this where a toddler has a toy in both hands and they can't give either of them up because it's like, it's mine. And then there's another toy they want and they're trying to figure out how to grab the third toy, but their hands are full. It's like a toddler who has rocks in their hands and they see a diamond, a pearl of vastly, infinitely more valuable than the rocks in their hands. The only way that toddler will ever receive the rock or the, the, the diamond or the pearl of great price is to release what's in their hand currently. And unless they're willing to give it up, they will never, they will never get it. And this is what Jesus is saying, that when we come to him, we have our lives, just like a rock. And we're holding our life 
and we're holding our relationships in our hand and it's so important, it's so valuable, but there is a kingdom of heaven, a pearl of great price that is worth far in infinitely more. The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than what you hold in your hand as your life. And Jesus offers it as a free gift of grace, but you can't receive it when your hands are full. And Jesus says, you have to release, you have to open your hands to receive what I am going to give to you. But this is going to cost you something, isn't it? Are you willing to make the payment? As Jesus is teaching and crowds are following, I imagine at this point the teaching when he says, oh, by the way, let me give you the fine print. You got to give up father, mother. You're going to have to hate. You're going to have to give up your own life. You're going to have to carry your cross. And the crowds start dispersing. And they're like, that's a hard teaching. Jesus, I don't know. I mean, when you were healing people and preaching a kingdom, but if it's going to cost me that, I don't know if I'm in. And I suspect some of the crowds started dispersing, but before they all leave, Jesus says, whoa, 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 before you leave, I want you to leave wisely. So he shares two parables, stories, to help them think through and weigh out what do we do? We wanna follow Jesus because he brings life and he has this gift for us, and yet it's gonna cost me. I gotta lay down my entire life and my relationships. I have to make them second. I don't know if I can do this. And Jesus is like, here's two parables to help you think wisely. Here's the first one. Suppose, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. They'll think, what a fool, right? Saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You know, there's a place on the shoe shop that me and Mandy vacation with her family. Um, you know, something about hate father and mother-in-law. No, just kidding. We, we're over that, right? I love them because I love Jesus. Anyways, um, we, we camp uh, with, with uh, our, my in-laws, with Manny's family. And uh, just down the road from where we camp, about five or 10 years ago, there was this development that started. And that summer, the foundation was poured. And it was just, it was going fast. And it sounded like this bunch of condos. It seemed like this beautiful location right on water's edge on the Shushwap. Lots of the Shushwap beach area is rocky. This is sand. It's like prime, prime location on the Shushwap. And uh, the next year we came by and the foundation was sitting there. Nothing changed. All summer, we came back the next year and the foundation's sitting there, nothing's changed. We came back the next year, it's probably been five to 10 years, I haven't calculated, but it's been a long time and nothing's changed. And I found out this summer that very likely what happened is a developer or maybe a group of developers, investors, um, had enough money to start. And there's a practice uh, today in our world where if you have a dream, a vision, you start building with the hope that as people see it, more investors will see it and say, we want in on this and you'll get your money as you go. Well, it turns out this developer or group of investors ran out of money and nobody signed up. And this beautiful beachfront location just sits wasted year after year. And it went up for sale this summer, probably at a fraction of the price of what it would have originally gone for. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't sign up for something without thinking through what's this gonna cost? And as we come to Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 before you just say I'm in, consider what is this gonna cost you? But he has another parable. It means 
kind of the same thing, but there's a nuanced difference. Here's, what it, uh, here's how it goes. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He'll, he'll pull out his white flag of surrender and say, it's not worth it. If we're going to lose 10,000 men to death, simply because we're going to lose the war anyways, why would we lose the war and the men? If we can't win, let's just throw up the white flag of surrender. In both these stories, Jesus is asking us undoubtedly, He's asking the crowds as they came to follow Jesus and to learn from him. He's asking them to do this. Count the cost before you jump in with following Jesus. Don't just, you know, I, I know I said, come and see. You don't have to. But as you come to see, at some point, you need to calculate. You need to count the cost. Do I want to continue and be all in with Jesus? Do I want to put my faith in him? And Jesus say, count the cost. But there's a nuanced difference between the two parables. See, in the first parable, the man building the building had an option to build, didn't he? He didn't have to build a building. He could not build the building. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is this. You don't have to follow me. You have an option. You can choose not to follow me. But in the second parable, it's different. The first king had no choice, did he? There was another king and another kingdom with 20,000 men coming. He had to make a decision. And I think Jesus is saying, you can choose whether you want to follow me or not, but one day I will return as king and how will the king find you? I like the way Archibald Hunter summarizes it. He says it this way. In the first parable, Jesus says, sit down and reckon whether you can afford to follow me. And in the second parable, he says, sit down and reckon whether you can afford to refuse my demands. Jesus is coming as king. Every knee will bow. But as you consider following Jesus, you need to ask those two questions. Can I afford to follow him? Can I afford not to follow him. And if I choose to hold on to my rocks, to my life, and forgo what he offers me, what will it be for me when the king returns? Jesus said it this way in Matthew, teaching a similar teaching. He said this, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it if you hold on to the thing that you're holding as so valuable, unwilling to surrender your life and your relationships to Jesus? What good is it? What if you gained it all? When you die, you lose it all anyways. When the king returns, it will be of no value to you. What good is it even if you gain the world and then lost your soul? So Jesus says, can you afford can you afford to follow me? It's gonna cost you something. And Jesus doesn't want you to say, whoa, there was a gotcha moment. He's saying, up front, I'm, gonna, I'm kind. I'm gonna give it to you up front. But there's a second question. Can you afford not to? Can you afford not to follow Jesus? 
because that's gonna cost you something and it's far greater price, a far greater price. So as you hold your life, are you willing today to release it, your, your closest relationships, to release them? Not to love them less, but to love Jesus more so you can love them better. Jesus continues his teaching saying, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, those who do not give up everything you have can't be my disciples. See, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The crowds are about to disperse. And Jesus says, here's the fine print on the front end. He who has ears, you who have ears, are you willing to hear, and to apply, and to receive what Jesus has just called of you? See, last week, as we started, uh, the message was about the idea of Abraham and as we followed Jesus along the way, we came to see and there's nothing required of us. We just, Jesus said, come as you are. But along the way of following Jesus, you're gonna be called to take a step and sometimes a leap of faith. Not blind faith, but it's gonna be faith. There's gonna be something you don't fully know or understand and he's gonna call you, would you trust me? But what we see today is we combine today's teachings with last week's teaching that following Jesus is not only a leap of faith, it most certainly is, it is also a calculated step. And as you consider faith, as you consider your journey of following Jesus, Jesus invites you to calculate, to consider, can you afford to follow me? But likewise, can you afford not to? Can you afford not to? And this, I think, as we consider giving up our life, making our relationship second, I think the way we live this in day-to-day -day is to live a surrendered life. What Jesus has called us, he's saying, would you surrender what you hold most dear? Would you surrender it to me? And surrendered living is open-handed living. It's saying, Jesus, you have given me all kinds of things, good things. And I think it's interesting, today was Dedication Sunday, where we celebrated a, the gift of a child, but also this understanding that, God, you've given me this child. The best thing I can do for this child is to point them to their heavenly father, to love Jesus most and release them, release the children, our children, our spouses, our parents back to their heavenly father, even as we're called to steward them. But we do that with open hands and that's so hard, so hard. So on a ask you today, I don't know where this message lands with you as you consider living a surrendered life. Maybe you're on the front end of faith and <laughs> you heard all this teaching about giving up your life and making all your relationships second to Jesus. You're like, I'm not sure. I wanna leave a question with you today. Can you afford to follow Jesus? Jesus invites you, calculate. Consider what it's gonna cost you. But likewise, as you consider that question, you have to ask the second question, can you afford not to follow Jesus? Because the king will return. And how will the king find you? And maybe you're like, oh, what does it even look like to surrender? I, I encourage you, would you just give your life? Would you say, God, I have my life and I don't even know what surrender looks like? Honestly, I don't know what surrender looks like. 
Every day I take up my cross and I follow again. Every day I say, okay, God, here's my life. And I don't know what you're gonna ask of me tomorrow, but tomorrow I'll take up my cross and I'll say, here's my life. I surrender it to you. And as you come and you won't have all, all the questions answered, but you're gonna come in faith saying, God, you're a good God. And my best life, eternal life, abundant life is with you. See, Jesus did not come simply to add to our life. You've got your life, you've got your rocks and, and you can just add Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus came to bring us life. And so as you consider, would you consider just surrendering? Saying, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I surrender my life to you. I admit I'm a sinner and I place my life in your hands. Would you come and be my savior? And would you be my Lord, your King? I'm gonna follow you. And if you've never done that, I wanna invite you to wrestle with that question, can you afford to follow Jesus? Can you afford not to? Would you consider surrendering your life to a good father, a good father who longs to give you the kingdom, to give you eternal life? And for those of us who have been following Jesus a long time, I think there's a unique challenge about living a surrendered life. And we're gonna talk about this later in this series, but I wanna talk about one area that Jesus brings up and it's our most closely held relationships. And what would it look like for you to live open-handed with the relationships that you hold dearest? And Jesus mentioned father and mother. And what would it look like as a child to release your father and mother and say, I trust God, I trust, I entrust you to them, them to you. As you think of your husband and your wife, or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or the desire to have a husband or wife, what would it look like for you to release the closest, dearest relationship to you and say, Jesus, I put you first. I make you central. I hold them with an open hand. And likewise, parents and grandparents, what would it look like to hold your children with open hands? In North America these days, there's less and less young people who are willing or stepping into vocational ministry, pastoral ministry, missions, overseas missions ministry. And there could be a whole bunch of reasons, but I know one reason that I hear and I've been hearing growing among our world, the Christian world, I'm talking to you who believe in Jesus, one reason that is growing is because parents and grandparents are not supporting or encouraging their children. Because if you step into a vocational ministry, it may take your child and eventually your grandchildren far away from home. And there's much more successful, as we define by world standards, successful jobs. And so I wanna, this is a challenge for us as parents and grandparents. Have we truly released our children? Say, whatever God's called you to, and maybe it's vocational ministry, maybe it's a year at Bible school, and in the back of your mind, you're like, that's such a waste of money. Why wouldn't they just go straight into their career? There's $20,000 down the drain. But if God has called them, what would it look like for you to release your children? Say, Jesus, I love you most. I put you first, even in my kid's life. And I will support them, even if it pulls them away from me. It's a hard call. I think even as we parent, and I'm in the middle of this with young kids, it can be so easy to have my conversations with my kids revolve exclusively around scholastics 
success in sports, their hobbies, the arts, uh, all these things. And we just have conversations. But God never enters the picture. And what would it look like if Jesus is central, highest priority in our lives that we model for them? And we, it doesn't mean that we let those things go, no. It means that Jesus supersedes. He is central to all of those hobbies. And we start to have conversations that maybe are different rather than what does simply success look like in, in worldly terms? What would it look like to be a follower of Jesus as you play that sport? And we bring God into the conversation of everyday life because he is central and he is priority. What would it look like to bring God into the arts as you enter that as a child? What would it look like for you to bring God into your scholastics? What would it look like to make God central as you model parents and grandparents? Then we also have to live it in our own lives. Following Jesus is not only a leap of faith. It's a calculated step and he invited us to a great gift. But he called us said, will you surrender? Because I want first. I want to be central. Will you live a surrendered life? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. And today was a hard word. And as I think of the crowds that probably were ready to disperse after this hard teaching, I'm sure there's some today that are wondering, ah, maybe I don't want to follow Jesus. But Father, by the word Jesus gave, you have invited us to calculate to ask the question, can we afford to follow Jesus, but also can we afford not to? And you have given us and offer us this great gift and you called us, come follow me. But you're gonna have to let go of yourself and make me first. Father, whatever and however that looks like for each of us, may you give us strength to step into that surrender and whatever it is you call, Father, we wanna be a people who say the answer is already yes. So would you be our strength and our guide as we go? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.